0: Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast, and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about all the topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. The topics of real-time data and data analytics are discussed in many business circles these days. As the ResNet board and quality assurance team charts a path forward to move ResNet from the gold standard to the platinum, data analytics will play a large role. What strategic initiatives are being considered to advance the QA function? We welcome back ResNet's multifaceted QA team, Laurel Elam, Billy Giblin, and Scott Doyle for an interactive session to overview the team's activities, achievements, and plans. We'll learn how they're looking at data to help determine how much quality assurance is required as well as to track rating activity more easily in the ResNet National Registry. We have the efforts to convert the quality assurance review checklist into an online form or app to make updates to the ResNet National Registry more easily available through continuous maintenance. Also underway is the creation of a system to track the entire chain of custody amongst HERS raters, RFIs, and energy modelers in the National ResNet Registry. The QA team is also planning to carry out an educational campaign aimed at the industry, builders, and program sponsors to continue to improve the consistency through our quality assurance and oversight. So let's listen in is Laurel, Scott, and Billy give us an overview of the state of ResNet QA 2021. Scott, Laurel, and Billy, please introduce yourselves.
2: Thanks, Bill. I'm Scott Doyle. I am the Director of Quality Assurance and Training. been with ResNet for about four and a half years now and always enjoy joining you on this podcast.
3: And Laurel? Thank you so much, Bill. It's always a pleasure to record these podcasts with you. My name is Laurel Elam. I am the Director of Quality Assurance Administration and Standards.
1: And hey, Billy.
4: Hey, Bill. How are you? Good to talk with you again. I've been with the resident a little over three and a half years. I'm the Quality Assurance Field Specialist. Been loving the job, meeting lots of great people on the field, and looking forward to this talk. Great.
1: So, the QA process is currently seen as a gold standard in the industry for inspection, testing, and labeling of the energy use and water performance, now newly water performance in the home. And as part of this effort to continuous improvement, being quality assurance, the team we're talking with here, the management of ResNet recently met with the team to come up with a path to move forward to keep this on an improvement path itself and taking it to a higher level. And I understand there were a number of initiatives that you're going to talk about here today to help the audience understand what this path moving forward would look like. So, Scott, there's a topic about the administrative burden for the staff and providers. How is that going to shake out? What are the changes you're looking at there?
2: That's one of the pain points that we hear quite a lot in our interactions with providers, quality assurance designees, is just the administrative burden that they have to overcome just to figure out how much quality assurance to do on each individual within their providership. And it's getting more complicated. That's the reason this topic is on our minds now. We've added a new certification. HERS Modeler will become mandatory as of January 1, 2022. Now there's an additional certification to track and figure out how to do quality assurance on their activities, separate from the rating field inspectors, separate from the raters. And for providers with a fairly complicated business models, a variety of different people doing different parts of the rating. It just gets to be a lot of work just to determine what their quality assurance obligations are. So one of the things we brought up here in our vision for what should be our ideal for the future is to just simplify how we figure out how much quality assurance to do for providers and then down to each individual, just to sort of ensure that while we're trying to raise the bar and make this program better and make it the highest standard possible so that we can increase the credibility of the HERS rating and of HERS raters, at the same time, we want to make sure we're conscious of not overcomplicating the quality assurance administration for providers because we still all have to meet the bottom line.
1: True. It has to be run within the context of an industry. And uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot of listening on that topic.
2: Yeah. All three of us have different primary topics or primary projects that get us communicating directly with quality assurance providers and quality assurance designees. Billy and I have the opportunity to see raiders sometimes out in the field. If we do either a virtual or a live field visit, sometimes the raiders are there. And so we get to talk to those folks as well. And We're trying to ask a lot of questions as well and just hear what people's pain points are. So, the exercise for us is not only like a policing exercise where we're just out there trying to catch people doing something wrong. It's also a really great opportunity for us to make sure we understand where people are struggling to implement the changes that have been passed through. So, we can pass that back up the chain and make sure that those pain points are heard, and sometimes that can drive policy changes.
1: And I'm going to direct this question to Laurel. Looking at the ability to set up a chain of custody for the raters, RFIs, energy modelers in the National Registry, what is that topic? Where is that coming from and what is that going to look like?
3: Well, the quality assurance team feels that it's extraordinarily important to know exactly which individuals worked on a rating and which capacity they did. Building on to what Scott was saying about looking at how much quality assurance is required. So in the rating file, we would need a data entry point for the energy modeler, the person that actually did the modeling from the set of plans and the specifications. And then they would need the rater of record to be in that building file as well, because they're basically overseeing the entire process from what the energy modelers do to anyone in the field that does an inspection, be that pre-drywall or the final inspections. And those could be done by the rater of record or another RFI or another rater. So it's just important to us to be able to have those data entry points in the rating software so that that way that translates into our registry. So if a question ever came up about that rating, we could speak to the individuals that were involved. But then also, Like I said, building on what Scott was saying, then we are able to more accurately track exactly how much quality assurance each one of those individuals need. And that would translate to all of the reports that the quality assurance providers can download from the registry, et cetera.
1: I get it. It seems like these topics are building upon each other, interwoven with each other with the ultimate goal of the continuous improvement process. Exactly.
2: Hey, Bill, I want to add something there. I think that was the suggestion that we have heard on multiple fronts, but more recently from the Emerging Leadership Council. Tracking the full chain of custody was something that was a suggestion that came from the Emerging Leadership Council and also something that's been on our minds for a while, especially as we went into changes to our quality assurance standard more recently where we are now allowing pre drywall QA. If we're allowing field quality assurance, verification at the pre-drywall stage and that won't necessarily always be the same individual that is the final rater of record for that rating, then it's it basically begs, well, how do we track who did that inspection? Because it's not the same person that will be ultimately the rater certifying that rating. So that's one of the reasons why we're looking for a full chain of custody and the tracking of that as our ideal in the future. I think that'd be something we track in the registry as well, as Laurel said, in the rating software.
1: Scott, if you could continue with that topic, I understand there's some analytic or data support that would be required. What is the thought there?
2: Basically, that is support for our team. There are only three of us, and we don't even get to work full-time on quality assurance. If you really looked at our job descriptions, there's more things to be done. And the administrative part of just trying to look through all the reports and determine how much quality assurance is supposed to be done for each provider when we do an enhanced QA review, either an online QA review or a field visit with a provider. We do a fair amount of prep on the front end, run all the reports based on the information we have for that provider. We're going to be needing to do more of that when we get to, I think later you're going to cover a topic of our automated QA efforts And we just really feel like having some additional administrative support for our team will really allow the three of us to focus more on the things that we're best at.
1: Yeah, instead of moving data around or searching for numbers or information. Yeah, exactly. Is that something that is happening in other parts of the organization too, analytics?
2: Yeah, obviously, you're going to probably hear from Ryan Maris, our colleague, on this topic in the future. And we feel like the data that we gather as an industry is becoming ever more important. There's a lot of interest in it, and we think it's probably going to have a lot to do with the value proposition in the future. Why builders will want to hire raters for ratings will be more than just a piece of paper certificate. There's a lot of data behind that, and some of them are going to have bigger reasons for wanting to get a hold of all of their own data across their book of business, which might be multiple rating companies and maybe nationwide
1: i mean that's a timely topic for all businesses these days is the analytics of data so much is able to be accessed but then you have to make something from it so very interesting and the continuous improvement process there so laurel i'm going to spin a question to you to talk about the provider quality assurance reviews coming through or being tracked in real time how's that going to look
3: Right now, Bill, tracking the quality assurance reviews, both the file and field QA reviews can be tracked in the ResNet registry, but it's an optional thing for providers to do. So basically, they can go in click on a rating, indicate whether a file or a field QA review has been done, they can upload the file or field QA checklist and date it and that sort of thing. But the idea is to move everyone into tracking the quality assurance in that registry. That way, going back again, building on um, the previous bullet of what Scott was saying, then we can pull real-time analytics of quality assurance reviews if they're all being tracked in the registry. But we realize that a lot of providers have their internal tracking mechanisms and we want to make it easy so there's not duplicative entry. So the idea is to finally get in place some sort of API or a way for providers who have their external database that they're tracking their quality assurance reviews and to connect into our registry. That way we've got everything in real place and we can pull these real-time reports. So that's the vision for the future of getting all of the quality assurance reviews in the registry and switching maybe from an option optional review requirement or to it to actually being required.
1: That's, again, another modern process, current process from a lot of businesses to move the data to where it can be acted upon. Billy, let's hear your voice here. Have one of the initiatives that I'm reading about, we're going to talk about, is converting the QA, the Quality Assurance Review Checklist, to an online and app-based form. Again, another current theme for a lot of businesses, they're moving to app-based. So is it a plan there now, or a vision, or is it moving into, how will it move into action?
4: We've started our first steps beyond the planning stage. <laughs> We're talking to some folks who actually work with us with our registry and with our some of our data analytics and about the possibility of creating. And this, actually, this request, it's probably something we thought about ourselves to some degree, but we've gotten a specific request from QADs. Providers and raters to create something for the QA review checklist specifically. So it's more of a QAD request to make it online, to make it something they can access online, something they can pull up on their phone as an app and fill out in the field and then have it just easier to use, quicker to use, and more accessible in the moment as they're doing the field QA review. So we have are in talks with and kind of waiting on numbers, on quotes, on what it would look like to create an app for one thing so that it could be used on a smartphone a tablet or to fill out the qa review checklist instead of having this spreadsheet this excel thing that you either have on a laptop or possibly have on a tablet and then having to deal with that and then move that later save it somewhere and that we're talking more it would be a little more seamless we're also talking about tying it into the api effort where do the qa in the field, you open up the app potentially, and for the most part, people are doing QA, you know, QADs are doing QA reviews before something, before home goes, a rating goes into the registry. So it may be that you're opening up on, say, a new field QA, and the system assigns a placeholder number, and this would link with the registry later or, or presently if it's in the registry. But if it's a home that's not in the registry, it's would kind of give you a new identification number, a, a bit of a placeholder, and then you would do the QA and then that would go into the system. And then later when the home goes into the registry, the addresses would link and even the registry ID number might even be generated out of that number. It might be a numbering system where the two things link. This is something we talk about too with the code with the R405 where there's going to be a projected rating and a confirmed rating that that kind of Functionality is going to need to happen for that as well, where something is getting some kind of identification number in the registry before a confirmed rating goes in. So, that's right now we're in the development phase, but it's looking pretty promising that we may move this direction and give people the option, at least initially, the option to do things automated in the field.
1: I think once people see the enhancements available by real time data entry in the field, everything sinks into the future database that there'll be a lot of good uptake, I'm sure.
4: It'll be a time saver. And so in that way, anything we can do to make this process more streamlined and efficient for people saves everyone time and money.
1: Yeah. I just made a note here. It's like the theme of this is real-time data, (laughs) this podcast. It's a lot of stuff going into data here.
3: That's a lot of the feedback that we've gotten too. And I want to applaud Billy specifically because he's worked really hard on the development and the continued modifications on the QA checklist. And I think it's been a great, great tool to enhance the consistency that is being performed with all of quality assurance, but now adding it and making it an online form or into an app is going to enhance it even more. So it's exciting.
1: Speaking of that, there's, if you could talk to the point of the performance-based QA process where ResNet, the staff, and the QADs can spend more time with the raters, RFIs, and energy modelers who need assistance. So this is not performance of the house or the building anymore, it's about performance of the individual in the process?
3: That's right, Bill. So back in 2019, which seems like years and years ago, the ResNet Board of Directors voted on some improvements, basically, on the effectiveness and efficiency of the quality assurance program. And there were several initiatives, but one was to incentivize better quality through a performance-based approach. So what we came up with and originally proposed is that the QA incentive would have reduced the rating and QA rating registration as the primary incentive. But again, we're always listening to our provider network. And so some feedback informed resident staff that the training and mentoring of new raters and RFIs has become more of a burden on provider resources and would not be offset by that fee reduction. So we said, okay, well, let's re-envision this incentive program because we're, again, going with what the board of directors wanted us to do, which was incentivize high-performing providers. So the providers would have to achieve certain things to be able to participate in the program. So there are several qualifications, and anyone that's interested can certainly email me at laurel@resident.us, and I will be glad to send you all of these things. But basically, it has to be a high-performing provider that hasn't had a lot of disciplinary actions and been on probation and things like that to be able to participate. And then there would be measures that they would have to do as well to then be able to, instead of doing say 1% on every single individual that they have doing ratings in the field, doing pre-drywall or final inspections, they could do 3% on One RFI or rater that may need more handholding or is new to the process and just needs more oversight and then maybe not do as much on the other to spread out the quality assurance amongst the raters and RFIs and potentially the HERS modelers as well once we get those on board. So ResNet staff sent out Scott did to our rating provider network the draft proposal, and we did a vetting period, which has already ended, so we will be gathering those comments and doing any revisions, but the idea is to have the pilot for this performance-based approach be in 2022.
1: Got it. Yeah, one size does not fit all, including that of QA and oversight.
3: Absolutely. And Bill, one thing, and I'm glad that you said that, that we wanted to be very cognizant of is that all provider models are different too. Like some are have a lot of independent raters and some are integrated providers where they have all in-house raters and RFIs and do all of their quality assurance that way. So we wanted to make the measures achievable for all kinds of providers, whether they're big or small, whether they're integrated in-house providers, or whether they have lots of independent raters. So we were very strategic in picking our measures to make sure they were achievable by all providers.
1: Yeah. So again, growth, maturity of the process, as well as continuous improvement. So I'm going to go back around the virtual table here to Billy and see if there's any ideas that are coming as you look outside of the home construction industry, if you will, to see are any other industries, any ideas coming in terms of quality insurance and best practices from other industries?
4: Yeah. Thanks, Bill. There are more and more ideas as we work together. And one of those is we realize sometimes it'd be nice as an ideal to have a process where we can visit homes, rated homes around the country, unannounced, if you will, or without the logistics of setting things up with the providers and QEDs and scheduling. And really this would also allow providers and QEDs to save some time and energy and not have to use their workday or travel time and the cost of all that to meet with me or Scott somewhere at a home. But this could be something that we just go to these two sites around the country and are able to access homes and then do our field observations that way. So looking at, say, the mining industry or OSHA, you know, I say OSHA, everyone freaks out when you say OSHA, but...
1: There's a trust but verify aspect, yeah.
4: Yeah, other types of quality assurance where they have access to really look into the systems and the processes in a way where we have different types of access. We definitely appreciate, I think we'll never leave, would never even consider leaving these live visits because it's great to have that face time with people and build those relationships and mentor and collaborate. And there'd be advantage to just being able to have access to go in and look at homes, rated homes, especially as we integrate more and more programs with hers H20 and 310 and just allow us to see how the process goes. And as we talk about this as an idea, we think about the resource of utility companies and their quality assurance process and working with utility companies for sake of access and or code enforcement groups, or I'm spacing on another one. Yeah, even builders. Or builders. Thank you very much. Or large builders who, who just want ResNet to have access to their homes as well. So that's just something we are continuing to explore.
2: I was going to add to that, Bill, that it's a little bit like the, just to make a comparison, When we talk to providers and quality assurance designees, we like to emphasize kind of a mixture of sometimes doing their field visits when the reader or RFI is present in the home with them because there are certainly advantages to being able to observe what their process is, but not have that be the only way they do things because you also set up kind of a subconscious message that you'll always give them a heads up when you're going to be doing their quality assurance field visit, and that can create a lackadaisical Attitude at times when you've got just that little extra pressure. I know as a raider that helped me to just feel like any home is the home that could be selected for QA. So even if it was just a thing where I'd be leaving the house and I'd be thinking, did I really look that closely at that back side of the attic where it went out of sight from the access and thinking to myself, was that batted pre drywall or should I be laying eyes on that? And that little extra pressure, especially when you're packing up and you're ready to leave, sometimes is all it takes to just make sure you're holding yourself to that higher standard. And so we've been preaching this type of thing to providers and quality assurance designees for their QA oversight. And we feel like it's just time for us to be able to walk the walk and do the same exact thing. Currently, the only way we do field visits, we give people plenty of heads up. So all we actually see is how things are, when we're there with them, and that can be for better or worse. Sometimes people get nervous. Sometimes just all the conversation throws them out of their normal order of operations the way they sequentially would inspect a home. And so you're not always seeing their true result. And we feel like it's important for us to get a mixture and be able to see things sometimes on their own without us influencing the end result.
1: Got it. Like you said, there's a responsibility and just holding everyone to a higher standard.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So Scott, we got another topic here talking about a QA data analytics tool being available to rating providers. Can you describe what that looks like, what the concept is there?
2: Yeah, this is something that people had been asking for ever since we first started doing automated QA with QA Genie, the original tool that we had for it. Providers wanted to have direct access so that they could see for themselves where flags, where they might have problems, do their own investigations, satisfy themselves if this was a big deal or not a big deal, be able to see the trends across time. If they found a problem and they educated somebody, then be able to easily access the data and see that trend come down where the person didn't make those same mistakes or didn't have those same types of flags happening. So it's always been kind of an obvious thing, but that original solution wasn't really built with providers in mind. The end customer, the user was the ResNet Quality Assurance team and the things we had access to and the way that data was displayed. So when we set out to create a new version of our data analytics tool, which is replacing that, what we used to call automated QA tool, it's going to do a bunch of different things for us. As you alluded to, Ryan it has got a lot of other business data analytics uses for it. But for the quality assurance team, it was just an obvious piece of what we needed to include was access for providers to be able to see at least the ratings that have run through their providership and the raters and RFIs in their providership to be able to see the data analytics, not only just on their flags, but even just where have they worked? Look at it geographically on a map. Sort that data, manipulate it, use it for their own purposes to make things easier for them to do their job as quality assurance providers.
1: Yeah, the data, having the data in hand in order to be able to take thoughtful action is uh, really important, again, sort of the theme of this conversation.
2: Yeah, and what we envision there is that each provider would have a login. So this would be something that is cloud-based. They would have a login that would allow them access to the data analytics tool for just a subset of data that is theirs. And one thing we're being really careful and intentional about is to ensure security with this system. So there's no way you could log in and be able to see anybody else's data. That would have to be very secure and limited only to a set of data that is appropriate for that provider or that quality assurance designate to look at.
1: So with all these changes going on and the need to communicate and train the industry, do you have some programs that you are looking at carrying out for perhaps an educational campaign?
2: Well, certainly that last one is going to require a pretty strong educational campaign just in and of itself. So when we're ready to launch a provider access to our data analytics tool, we're going to have to do some pretty strong training around that. We're going to do our best to make the user interface as intuitive as possible but we know for sure we're going to have to do training. So I would imagine that would be webinar-based training. And we may even have to support that through the other interactions that we have with providers like the online QA reviews. And we do the same thing with our registry. If we have a new provider come on board, we're now doing specific training on the use of the registry. We host a web meeting with a new provider each time they come on board as sort of part of our onboarding process. And this would just be one more thing we would do some additional education on that for new providers and I think especially at the launch of it we'd have to be doing not just a single webinar but a pretty strong overall educational effort to make sure that it's clear how folks can use it and they can tap into the full potential of it.
1: How about the conference upcoming conference will some of these topics be laid out and explained a little bit further there?
3: Yeah, we're definitely planning on covering some of these topics potentially at our required quality assurance designee roundtable. Then we also will have a dedicated session just on the performance-based QA pilot. In addition to just the conference, we're going to have a virtual presence and have sessions there, as well as an in-person presence in Austin, and we'll continue to do our QAD And they're required annually, but once a quarter, we have a training program, specifically a webinar for quality assurance designees to keep them up to date on all of these topics or any sort of technical things that they need to know, et cetera. And then we also do a required provider training. So somebody from the actual providership, their providership representative is required to take a training every year as well as part of their annual accreditation renewal.
1: Amazing amount of work. And uh, Scott had said earlier, that's not the only thing you do. So,
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Kudos to you all. I'm just going to go back around the virtual table and we'll go in alphabetic order this time with Billy, then Laurel, then wrapping up with Scott. Just give me a closing thought on this topic. Billy, you first.
4: It's just exciting to think outside the box and look at new ways we can make QA better for folks, more efficient, more effective, and more streamlined, as well as just giving people more access to better tools. And hopefully, ultimately, the reason for that is to improve consistency and training and mentoring and just help people get better at the work that we all do and deliver a more consistent result. So I think that's really the goal of these efforts is to just make QA better across the board. Other thing I'd say, just in closing here, in late 2021 is as challenging as 2020 was for everyone. This year has not let up for many people. It's been a remarkable year trying to just schedule visits and work with people. All the things people have been dealing with with COVID, or even if you take COVID out of the picture, it's kind of been a heart, a rough year for a lot of folks in a lot of ways, as well as a very busy year. And for a lot of people, a record year for work. Just want to recognize the challenges people have done. And just appreciate the spirit of the people in this industry and uh, what they contribute to ResNet and to the building industry, as well as just doing it under harder conditions this year. So hopefully, yeah, some of these efforts will help make things a little more streamlined and easier for folks over time so we can at least have that going for us when these rough years happen.
1: Very good comments. Very good thoughts there. Laurel, closing thought from you.
3: I've been with Fresnet out of this little team the longest. So I have been on staff now for almost 12 years. (laughs) And I started doing quality assurance work in 2013, so almost nine. And just to see the continued improvement and particularly where we were all those years ago to then strategically bringing new staff on board. Scott first, then Billy, and then it just, everything just started to gel and get better and better. And then the ability to have more staff dedicated to this and listening to our providers, getting feedback, definitely agree 1000% with what Billy says. I appreciate the hard work that our providers and our quality assurance designees do so much. They are out there in the trenches every day, pandemic or not, they are working so hard. So whatever we can do to help them do their jobs more effectively and better while still continuing to enhance ResNet's quality assurance program because we are seen as the gold standard. And we worked really hard to get there, but what can we do now? What can we do next? And that's why I feel like the ResNet's QA team getting together, it was live and in person too, which was the first time we had seen each other in a while, which was fantastic to put all of our heads together to come up with this visionary type of initiatives to say, What can we do now? How can we continue to help our providers and quality assurance designees, particularly with all of the technologies that we have and will continue to have in the future? So it's just it's a very exciting thing for me to see how much improvement has been made over the last decade with ResNet's quality assurance program.
1: So here's an idea. Let's do an episode called the ResNet Time Machine.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> and you compare 10 years ago to now, you seem to have a very good perspective on this.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've seen a bit. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> Scott, closing thought from you.
2: Yeah. I just want to express my gratitude to Executive Director Steve Baden and Deputy Director Cardis Howard. This was a summit as Laurel well for the QA team. They spent the better part of two days with us without a strong agenda of their own without a bunch of stuff that they wanted to tell us and give us marching orders, they largely sat back and listened to us. They gave us the prompt. They wanted us to envision the future of the quality assurance program for resident and how we could take it forward, what changes needed to be made for us to remain relevant and remain the highest standard possible. And this set of initiatives that we talked about today didn't exist just six months ago. They came out of that summit and I remember talking with Billy and Laurel afterwards. We all had that same feeling, like it feels so great to be heard, to have somebody at the C-level office take an interest in your job and ask you genuinely where the pain points are, where are your challenges, what needs to change. They wanted something actionable to come out of the meeting. It wasn't just a, let's throw our ideas in a stew and then forget about them on the back burner. There's actually things we're going to start working on And so some of these things will take longer than others to come to fruition, but I think we all felt really good and really positive. It was just energizing. As Laurel said, we hadn't seen each other face-to-face in a year and a half plus, and it was just a real boost of energy, I think, for all of us. I came back with a renewed enthusiasm for the job.
1: Charged up. Well, I want to thank you all, you three, for joining me here today. And if anyone wants to get in touch to follow up any of these topics, it's as simple as sending an email to Billy at ResNet.us or Laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L at ResNet.us or Scott with two T's (laughs) at ResNet.us. And I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of the ResTalk podcast, where we talked about the path where ResNet Quality Assurance is moving forward from gold to platinum. Thanks again, everyone.
3: Thank you, Bill.
4: Thanks, Bill. Thanks so much, Bill.
1: I want to thank you for listening into this episode about the state of ResNet QA 2021. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more, to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. Today's quote, most decisions are not binary and there are usually better answers waiting to be found if you do the analysis and involve the right people. That's a quote by Jamie Diamond. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at Also located in the show notes are the email addresses for Laurel, Scott, and Billy if you'd like to get in touch with them directly. If you're not subscribed, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the ResTalk Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the residential energy services network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Rest Talk.